Hello, my name's Courtney and welcome to the first ever podcast for Murderous Minds. Um, This podcast basically is just because I'm absolutely fascinated with true crime. Um, I find it, you know, it just really tickles my interest. I don't even think that's a saying, but it tickles my interest. I really like it. I want to understand more about it. I enjoy telling the stories. And that's basically what we're here today for. So every other week, because I have a full-time job and I cannot do it every week, we'll see, we'll try. But every other week, I intend to tell a true crime story or a true crime case. And basically, then we'll open the platform. So we'll have a social media page for people to comment, give their theories, give their opinions, and just be able to open the platform and talk about it because it is extremely interesting. So without further ado, we're going to be talking today, the first ever case on Murderous Minds, is about Edmund Kemper III. Now, Edmund Kemper, we're not going to refer to him as Edmund Kemper III all the way throughout. We're going to call him, more than likely, we're going to call him Ed. We're not going to call him Big Ed, as his friends would call him, because I'm not his friend. I don't necessarily like this person. So we're going to just call him Ed for ease of mind. So a little bit about the background of Ed, or Edmund Kemper III. Ed, we're just going to call him Ed. So Ed was born in December 18th, 1948, in Burbank, California. And his parents were Clarnell Kemper and Edmund Kemper II. Now, from every single article, everything I've read, everything I've watched, it's so clear that Edmund Kemper II absolutely hated Clarnell. Um, There's a quote that Edmund said that suicide missions in wartime and the atomic bomb were nothing compared to living with Clarnell. So I think it's quite evident that, you know, straight away we've got quite a hostile situation, a hostile environment that Ed Jr., (laughs) Edmund Kemper II, said, oh God, start again. I think it's quite a hostile situation. So, you know, Ed is going to be being brought up in quite a volatile um, household where the parents aren't obviously not happy with each other. There's probably a lot of fighting, a lot of screaming and arguing. And that can be quite traumatic for children. I'm not saying that that's what caused what's going to happen. I'm just saying that obviously it's something to consider. So Clarnell Kemper and Edmund Kemper II did have three children. They had two daughters, one son, and the son was Ed. And by the age of 10, Edmund, or Ed, was already showing signs of cruelty to animals. So, in one instance, he ended up burying the pet family cat alive. He then waited for it to die before he dug it back up, decapitated it, and then mounted its head on a spike. Now, I guess, but any parent who really is concerned for their welfare of their children would maybe talk to the child, would try to get some form of counselling, some form of therapy. But I think the thing to acknowledge here, as we'll go on to talk about, is that Ed didn't have a very loving home life. And let's carry on because it will make sense what we're about to talk about. So by 13, he'd killed another family cat, which he kept pieces of the cat in his closet. He also, growing up, 
enjoyed playing games with his sisters, such as playing what's called the electric chair. So this is where he would pretend or get his sisters pretend to flip a switch and he would roll around on the floor pretending that he's been electrocuted. Now, a lot of people or a lot of things I've read have kind of said that this is a massive signal, that this is really weird, that he's pretending to be electrocuted and I kind of disagree because I used to play a game with my siblings and some of my friends if I stayed around their houses basically called the floor is made of lava and you may think I'm a weirdo and you're probably going to say you've never even heard of it but I'll, I'll explain in case you don't know floor is made of lava is basically where you would be in your living room or a bedroom or wherever in the house you would throw different household items that you can stand on so say things like a quilt or a cushion a pillow anything like that and the point was was to jump around that room only stepping on the objects that you'd thrown on the floor so like your blanket your pillow etc toys anything anything you can stand on a chair and if you fell off said item you basically fell into the lava and you would die so i think is it really wrong that he had these imagine like you know imaginary games well not really because a lot of children come up with really like concocted bloody games and it's not necessarily something to be concerned about or i don't personally think so the harming of the cats yes i think is maybe a trigger is something to that parents should be like oh shit something's not right but not necessarily playing games with his sisters but anyway so that's what ed liked to do in 1957 clarnell kemper and edmund kemper decided to split and kemper was only nine at the time but he was absolutely devastated he actually pretty much hated his mum because she was a neurotic she was verbally abusive and she was a raging alcoholic. Clarnell treated Edmund horribly. She may not have physically abused him as a child, but the emotional abuse that he suffered, I believe surely contributed to the crimes that he would later on commit. So a little bit further about Clarnell. Clarnell would make her son sleep in the basement for fear of harming his sisters. And if that does not contribute to why you'll see that I, or I personally think he hates women and why he does what he does, you know, at what, how can you lock your son in the basement for fear of him harming his sisters. He hadn't done anything. He'd never touched his sisters inappropriately. He'd never hurt them. Now, by the age of 15, Ed was already a very, very tall person. He was six foot four. And I can understand that he may have looked intimidating, but surely you should be able to trust your son that he wouldn't do anything that well, abnormal or whatever a better word for that is. So I think it's just straight away we've got the fact that the he's come from a family where the parents don't get along they're very argumentative the mum is um an alcoholic she's then quite emotionally abusive she would also out and out refuse to show ed any attention out of fear of him turning gay i mean i know this is like 1950s and being gay was uh, was seen as being bad but i mean if it's your son your, your son's gay your son's gay like i just uh, 
I think it's hard for me to understand that. I will never understand that because I wasn't brought up in the a time where anything like that, you know, um, any kind of race, religion, gender, sex, whatever, was seen as inferior. So it's hard for me to understand the, why she would have it in her head that if she showed her child, not just anyone, her child, any affection, that he would turn gay. I, she's such a dick. Anyway, and I can, un- and understandably, Ed, when he was 14, he ran away from his mum to go and live with his dad. And he ended up living there to go and live with his paternal grandparents. Now, I read some conflicting information again, because everyone tells stories differently. Some people leave certain things out and history is never 100% correct because stories change. And I did read something where basically he went to go and live with his dad. His dad had basically moved on, had a whole new family, had children, had a new wife. And supposedly Ed's stepmom didn't like Ed. For whatever reason, she felt uncomfortable around him. And that's when Ed's dad suggested that he go and live with his parents so Ed's paternal grandparents. So then we're getting to Ed living with his grandparents. Now apparently Ed's nan was pretty much a mini me of Clarnell, his mum. And I think this just the point was was for him to be able to get away from a neurotic and emotionally abusive mother figure. And the fact that he's moved to go and live with his nan and has now received kind of maybe the same sort of treatment, not as much, but still some emotionally abusive taunting and such. So on August 27th, 1984, just aged 15, Kemper shot his nan after they had an argument. Now, Kemper's granddad used to keep guns around the house. And as you'll probably know, a lot of Americans have the right to bear arms. Um... And that's a whole nother topic that we're not going to go to discuss today because it doesn't necessarily bear much relevance. Um, But he used to have different guns around the house and they were quite easily accessible. Ed had an argument with his nan and it's not clear what the argument was about, but pretty much this enraged him. And he picked up the gun and he shot her in the head before shooting her in the back another two times. Now, to me... It's a little bit overkill. You know, if you're angry and you just want to end somebody's life, why have you shot them in the head, which would pretty much and automatically kill them, you know, to then shoot them another two times in the back? It seems a little bit like he's shooting her in the back on purpose because maybe he felt like, well, she kind of like stabbed me in the back metaphorically, so I'm going to shoot her in the back physically. I mean, that's my argument and my opinion. I'm not saying that is gospel and that's exactly how Ed felt. It's just, it seems a little bit, for his first crime against a family member, just seems a little bit overkill. So Kemper's granddad at the time of the shooting was actually out shopping. And when he came back, Ed walked outside to meet his granddad by the car and then shot him as well. He then rang his mum, that's Ed, not the granddad, the granddad's dead. Ed then shot his mum. Shot his mum? Courtney, come on, start again. Ed then phoned his mum and she said to call the police. I mean, that should have been your first thought, Ed, but if you need a little bit of help with that, then fair enough. And he did, he rang the police. And when he was arrested, so the police turned up and when he was arrested, they obviously questioned him. They wanted to understand why did he do this? 
to his grandparents. And Ed stated that he wanted to see what it felt like, referring to his nan. And again, we're coming back to the kind of, is there such a hatred against women that that's why he said the, the you know he had such an animosity towards his nan and that's why he said that he wanted to see what it felt like because when talking about his granddad he said he didn't want his granddad to see his wife dead and that's why he shot him now i'm not saying that that's justifiable like ed was a nice person you know he was just trying to protect his granddad i'm not saying that but what i am saying is that it seems out of all of the murders we're going to talk about, there was only one murder that was a male, and that was his granddad. And it seems like he genuinely was trying to protect him because it was the only, you know, he really adored his father, but he couldn't live with his father. And then he goes to live with his granddad. And I think he genuinely did love his granddad, but there is obviously some form of mental abnormality as to how he thought that that situation should be fixed was to shoot him so he the granddad wouldn't feel any pain from like losing his wife and basically because of this the court psychiatrist diagnosed ed as a paranoid schizophrenic and he was sent to atascadero state hospital whilst he was in atascadero hospital kemper was given an iq test which placed him at 145 which is incredibly high especially at such a young age now what's concerning is that the fact that the state hospital and this state hospital was only for prisoners of who were suffering some form of mental abnormality and and the fact that they've given him an iq test and he's scored very high they have concluded that he's a paranoid schizophrenic and then they allowed him because apparently he was a model prisoner they allowed him to help administer other psychiatric tests to other inmates Obviously, I'm only ever going to speak from my opinion. I cannot talk on behalf of other people. I'm only going from things that I've read, that I've listened to, that I've formed my own opinion. But that, to me, should never have happened. Because surely, if he's that clever, he can easily manipulate. And that's exactly what he did. He ended up, every time he had to have some form of test, he knew exactly what they wanted to hear. And that's why, on December 18th, 1969... Ed, on his 21st birthday, was released on parole. The psychiatrist at Atascadero did recommend, though, that he shouldn't be released back into the care of his mother, but this was completely ignored. So, Clarnell had actually remarried, and she'd taken on the name Strandberg. In November 1972, Ed's juvenile records were expunged. And if you don't know what expunged means, basically it means kind of removed or eradicated, like it never existed. So now I think that Ed's killed, so he's 21, he's been released from Atascadero State Hospital, he's killed two people, his grandparents, and now his juvenile records have just been completely eradicated. So if he got pulled over just for even the the, the simplest of um, law breaking, so he was speeding, they wouldn't be able to know this, they would just look and go, oh, Silly Ed, you you was doing 40 and a 30, why would you do that? No, I don't believe any record should be expunged. It doesn't matter what age you are, what's wrong with you. Okay, this again, I should note this is my opinion. A lot of people are probably going to disagree with me, but I think it's happened 
you know, whatever's happened, it's happened. And it shouldn't necessarily just be eradicated just because of their age or they've been a good model prisoner. It doesn't matter. That history is still there. Let's move on. So Kemba actually wanted to become a police officer, but he was rejected due to his size. So I personally don't know if there is different laws depending on the state as to size requirements for the police. I didn't actually look this up, but I did know that obviously Kemper was rejected. He was really distraught about this because he really wanted to be a police officer. So he used to hang around a bar called the Jury Room, which was actually a popular bar for local police officers. So Kemper ended up doing menial jobs because he couldn't do the job that he really wanted to do. And once he'd saved enough money doing these menial jobs, he then moved out of the family home. Ed still found that he was unable to get away from his mother, Clarnell, because she would regularly visit or would phone him. And you might think again, well, surely she can't dislike him that much if she's tried to keep in contact with him when he's moved out. But if you think about it, she sounds very manipulative, very controlling. The fact that she like locked him in a basement when he was like only 13 to 14. Surely that is a very controlling thing to do. So the fact that she constantly keeps in like regular contact to me isn't a loving thing from Clarnell. You know, most mothers or, or parents, you know, could be a dad. It is a loving thing. It's because they care. They want to make sure that their child is okay. With Clarnell, I genuinely believe it was a controlling, uh, like she needed the control over Ed. Let's move on to the further killings that Ed created. That's not the right word, committed, there we go. So between May 1972 and April 1973, Kemper killed eight people. So we'll start with the first two victims and I am going to use their names and I hope people don't find this offensive because I know certain people will prefer um, victim names not to be read aloud or, or stated because it's kind of like it could be seen as being offensive but I also kind of think it's I kind of think it's not offensive in the sense of I'd rather share their names you know these people were living people I don't want to say like number one and number two um <laughs> god I'm not going to call them that um but I you know they were genuine living people and they deserve to be recognized as that so i hope people don't mind i am going to use the victims names i will probably butcher their names because i am useless at pronouncing things so i apologize greatly in advance if i mispronounce any names so on may 7th 1972 kemper was driving in berkeley california when he picked up two 18 year old hitchhiking students mary ann pesk and anita and Anita Mary Lucessa. He drove around and ended up in a secluded wooded area. He handcuffed Pesca and locked Lucessa in the trunk. He then stabbed and strangled Pesca to death and then killed Lucessa in the same way. Kemper apparently, whilst handcuffing Pesca, he brushed his hand against one of her breasts and then said, whoops, I'm sorry. To me, this really shows that Ed is you know, so vulnerable. I'm not, I don't want people thinking that, oh, she keeps backing him up. Oh, like, no, I'm not backing him up. He's a dickhead for what he did. But I can kind of 
somewhat sympathize, like sympathize with him because he had a fucking shit childhood. And again, I'm not saying if you had a shit childhood that you're automatically going to be a psychopath or anything like that. You're going to murder people. It's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is, is that there is obviously some kind of vulnerability to him for the fact that he's gone out. He's killed these or before he's killed him, he's attempting to kill them. And the fact that by accident, his hand slips past her, hits her breast or boob, whatever you want to call it. And he's he's like, oh, so, oh, sorry, sorry. I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to touch that. Like, my bad. And that, to me, just shows like how insecure and how vulnerable he actually is. Again, not saying that what he did to these two, two poor, poor victims is okay. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to think outside the box a little bit, you know. So he ended up putting the women's bodies in the trunk of his Ford Galaxy. And Kemper was actually pulled over by the police. And this really kind of just pisses me off. And But I can kind of understand it because he's pulled over by the police for having a broken tail light. So the police apparently didn't really search the, the car. They don't check anything. They, they pull him over. They notice it's Ed. And they're like, oh, Big Ed from down the pub? Oh, brilliant. Like, what are you doing, mate? And then they're like, look, Big Ed you need to sort your tail light out. You can't be driving around with that. And Big Ed's just like, <laughs> sorry guys, I didn't realise. Fucking hell, my bad. And they're like, no, 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 it's cool. I'm making up this conversation. I don't actually know if that's how it went down. I'm going to pretend it went like that because it just makes it so much better. But they genuinely was like, get it sorted, but we'll let you go this time. So he literally just drives off with the, the, the poor girls in his trunk of his car and he takes them back to his apartment he then stripped them and took photographs of them and had sexual in in oh start that again and had sexual intercourse before dismembering them oh, fucking hell this is this is going to get brutal people maybe i should have done a disclaimer disclaimer there's going to be really fucking fucked up shit that's not a disclaimer there's going to be some nasty shit we're going to be talking about there's going to be some dead bodies there's going to be some dismembering if you're not good with this stuff maybe this podcast isn't for you or maybe you just want to skip towards the end and I'll tell you kind of like a summary I don't know you do you you choose what's good for you on the 14th September 1972 Kemper picked up a 15 year old dance student 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 Aikuku I think that's how you say her name so sorry if it's wrong. He drove her again to a remote area where he proceeded to choke her unconscious, rape her and then kill her. And I think it's really prevalent here to highlight or important to highlight that we are talking about the 70s. Hitchhiking or, you know, getting a lift from a stranger was a very normal thing to do. No, it would never happen in 2020 because we've kind of learned about stranger danger. We, we've had all of these cases beforehand to show us that, you know, don't, don't get in a vehicle with someone you don't know or, you know, don't walk home by yourself in the dark because you don't know who's out there. We've learned all of this because of these things. So I feel like it's really important to highlight that we shouldn't judge this these poor victims for taking a lift or, or getting a lift because it was such a normal thing to do back in the 70s. Anyway, sidebar over, let's carry on. He again, Kemper, packed Koo's body into the trunk of his car, took her back to the apartment and had sexual intercourse with the body. 
He then again dismembered her and disposed of the remains. Then, in January the 7th, 1973, Kempo actually moved back with his mum, and whilst he was driving around the Cabrillo College campus, he picked up 18-year-old student Cynthia, or Cindy Shaw. We'll probably call her Cindy, because I think that's what she was commonly known as. So, as before, he drove her to a wooded area and shot Cindy with a pistol. He then drove back to his mum's house and left the body in his closet overnight. Now, I'm not saying the three previous murders of these poor, innocent victims is, like, is okay, but the fact that he had an apartment and then did it is kind of like... You're like, okay, he's doing it when there's like no one else around. You know, he's he's obviously trying to think, no one's going to catch me because I've got my own apartment, blah, 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 blah. But now with Cindy Shaw, he's living at his mum's. His mum is there. And the idea of thinking, damn it, killed this girl, got to get her in my house without my mum noticing. Like, what, what the actual fuck? Oh, just, Ed, what are you doing? Well, this is what he's doing. So, when his mum left for work the next day, Ed did the same thing that he did to the other girls. He had sex with the body, dismembered her and decapitated her before disposing of her. And then, in February 5th, 1973, after another argument with his mum, Kemper left the house in search of a victim. The police informed all students at this time, or around this time, only to accept rides from cars who had a university sticker, which you would think, again, in the 70s, it's quite a normal thing for people to get um, a lift or a hitchhike or anything like that. And the fact that the police were gone, look, students, be safe. Just get into a car with someone who you know has got like a university sticker. They should be safe, should be okay. Keep saying the word should because Kemper actually had a sticker because his mum worked at the University of California in Santa Cruz. So, oh, this is so frustrating. I just, words cannot even come out now. Right, anyway. He then picked up 23-year-old Rosalind Heather Thorpe and 20-year-old Alice Helen Lou. Lee? Lou? I don't know how you say that. I'm going to say Lou. He then shot Thorpe and Lou with his pistol and again brought the victims back to his mother's house. But this time it was slightly different. He actually beheaded them in the car and carried the headless corpses into his mum's house to have sex with them. He then dismembered the bodies and discarded of their remains. Now there is no kind of rhyme or reason as to why he changed it because beforehand he would kill them and then take the, the their bodies back into his apartment or to his mum's house and then, you know, have sexual intercourse with the bodies um, and then dismember them and decapitate them. This time, with Rosalind Thorpe and Alison Liu, he actually beheaded them straight, like, straight away in the car. There is no kind of, like, argument as to why he did this, but maybe it shows how, kind of, the aggression is coming out more because this time he'd had another argument with his mum and went out searching for a victim so is that the beheading like the uh, decapitation of the bodies is that because he was so angry this time I, i don't know that's just something to think about homework for you all and then again on april 20th 1973 clarnell strandberg so pay attention people who is Clarnell Strandberg? It's Ed's mum. You know, Clarnell Kemper, 
got divorced, changed her name, remarried, Strandberg, you with me? She came home from a party and then she went to bed to read a book because that's what we all do. I don't, I don't even go out to party. I'm just always in bed because I'm a sloth. And Kemper walked into the room and his mum said, I suppose you're going to want to, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. And Kemper just stated, no, good night. He then waited for her to fall asleep before bludgeoning her with a claw hammer and then slitting her throat with a knife. Ed then decapitated her and, uh, fair warning before I say this, had sex with his mother's severed head. He then placed his mother's severed head on a mantelpiece and then threw darts at the head while screaming abuse at it. Kemper cut out her tongue and larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. The garbage disposal couldn't break down the tough vocal cords. And after this, he hid his mother's corpse in a closet and just casually went for a drink. Because, you know, we all like to have a good old pint after we've chopped our mum's head off, fucked it and threw darts at it. When he was done at the pub after having however many pints, you know, he invited his mother's best friend, Sally Hallett, over to his mum's house. As she, when she arrived, Kemper strangled her to death and again hid her corpse in a closet. Kemper then fled, actually fled the scene, ended up phoning the police and confessed to the murders. And at first, because he rang the local police and they knew him from the local pub, they genuinely believed he was joking. And they kind of was like, come on, Ed, you shouldn't be joking about these things. We actually have a killer on the loose. Don't be wasting our time now. Naughty, naughty. Kemper, for whatever reason, was like, no, I need to actually, I need to confess. I need to, I need to come clean again. So he calls a few hours later and asks to speak to a specific police officer. And this time they actually took him seriously they went to go and get him and took him into custody. And whilst Kemper was on trial, he was indicted of eight counts of first-degree murder on the May 7th, 1973. The jury only took five hours before declaring Kemper guilty. Kemper actually asked for the death penalty, but received seven years to life for each count to be served concurrently. Kemper is now 71 and is in prison at the California Medical Facility. So I kind of want to talk about, or kind of want everyone to think about a few of the top, like a few of the things that come up in this case. So I'm going to call it Crime Corner. Ah, crime corner, yeah, 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 crime corner, ba 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 ba. So, <laughs> are psychopaths born that way or made that way? Now, this comes back to the kind of like nature versus nurture, and I know this is like a whole massive topic, so we're not going to necessarily talk about it in depth. I just kind of want to like touch on it. Because I think both things have a major impact. The nature versus nurture argument has very good values on both sides of the argument. And I think Ed had psychopathic tendencies. So, you know, partially we could say from a young age that nature, it was just, it was in, in like, he was kind of born with it. Maybe he was born to be a murderer. But then on the flip side... What exacerbated the situation was the, f the fact that he had such a lack of compassion and love from his parents. Could you argue that had he come from a loving family, would he have gone to kill? It's hard to say because 
you will never know the answer and this is why the nature and nurture argument will always exist because we will never fully understand it but I personally sway towards no as I feel so much of his rage and aggression is at his mum I kind of believe that she was a catalyst in it all you know it's hard to I don't know really and then again as we kind of discussed is the playing of the weird games as a child is that really a concern so I kind of brought up a fact or the fact about I used to play a game called the floor is lava but then I also thought about it and I thought Another thing that I didn't bring up, so I'll bring it up now, is that Ed liked to use, used to take his sister's dolls, like the Barbie dolls, and break the heads off of them. And I thought, that's a bit weird. And then I thought about it again. A lot of thinking took place. The, I used to have lots of Barbie dolls. If you know me, you would not expect that. You'd expect, like, action man. And I had some action men, don't get me wrong. Because who else was Barbie going to date? <laughs> but... I used to take the Barbie dolls and cut their hair off. Is that the same sort of thing? Because they used to look horrific without their hair. Like, genuinely concerning. It fucking freaked me out every time that I did it. And I don't know why I did it. I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to chop chop their hair off. Yeah, chop their hair off. So, can you say that him playing the games of, like, the electric chair or breaking the heads of a Barbie doll, is that a sign of a child becoming a psychopath or being a psychopath i don't really know i guess it's kind of maybe something to consider but i don't necessarily think it's an overall yes definitely this this child will be a psychopath and then the last thing is that should prisoners be allowed to choose between prison and the death penalty in the uk the death penalty was abolished in some time i should look that up bear with Okay, so it was the UK, the death penalty was actually abolished in 1965. And therefore, so we obviously have no capital punishment since then. But the US, however, are quite significantly different. Um, It very much depends on the state, whether or not it's still pursued or even enforced. Um, But a question is that should a prisoner be allowed to choose between a prison sentence or the death penalty? Because Ed actually asked to to be put to death, but he was given seven life sentences. I personally don't agree with the death penalty. Again, I'm not going to go into too much detail because that's a very large and long, complicated topic to talk about. So I'm just going to tell you my opinion. I don't necessarily agree with it. However, if some prisoners are served with the death penalty rather than a prison sentence, surely would it not be better for the system overall because as most will know having prisoners actually costs a lot of money to to keep them you know to 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 keep them in in jail in prison you know they need to be fed they need to be clothed they need to be showered not that people i expect people to be showering them to like lather them up and everything but you know you need the water you need guards you need to be able to pay them you know there's a lot obviously that goes into it so would it not be better that those who want to opt for the death penalty to give them the option to but then again you've got the argument of well why should they get the easy way out and surely it would be better for them to rot and have to think about everything that they've done it's again it's a very very big thing to think about it's a very big topic it's very complicated there's a lot to it but it gives you a little bit of food for thought something to think about and officially that is the end 
of my first ever episode of Murderous Minds. Woohoo! Yay! Celebration! So, I really hope you enjoyed it and I hope you're looking forward to the next episode. If you want to talk about it, please feel free to message me on the Instagram page and that's at Murderous Minds. And yeah, just thanks for listening, guys. Love you all. Bye.